Well, tonight, um, I, uh, I'm excited for the message. I'm not going to lie to you, this ain't going to be a short one, as if any of them are short. Someone said, you did so good last week, you preached under 60 minutes. And I thought to myself, oh, I got to go 120 next week to make up for it. But um, we, uh, the past four weeks, we've been really trying to move with the winds of the Holy Spirit. And, and what that means for me is that I believe God said take a season off where we're not going to be uh, doing a series. I've been listening very intently for what does God want me to speak uh, every week. And looking back, there's been an interesting flow with the messages. Because we started with reestablishing altars, we went to embracing mantles, moving from glory to glory, and then glory being revealed. And what God gave me was just simply this, kind of a recap of the last few weeks. Your life should be an altar of sweet-smelling aroma to the Lord. And part of that altar of sacrifice in your life should be embracing the mantle placed of your life and pursue His purpose for you. And while we pursue Him in all we are called to do, we're transformed from glory to glory by the leading of Holy Spirit, and we recognize the leading of the Holy Spirit by certain distinguishing traits of God, the sevenfold Spirit of God. It's been interesting how God's been teaching us that the past few weeks, isn't it? Well, as I've been praying this week, something kept coming in front of me. Listening to preachers that I listen to, voices, spiritual fathers, conversations in the house, questions being... I, I think it's always healthy to listen to the questions because you, you don't want to teach on things that no one's hungry for. And as I've been listening, I feel like God wants me to speak on the subject blessings and curses. Oh, oh yeah, there, there it goes. It resonates. Blessings and curses. I believe that if we are a people that walk by the leading of Holy Spirit, we've got to understand that there are two powerful things always at work. Two banners that we can choose to live under. The banner of blessings or curses. You're either walk or walking in a blessing or walking under a curse. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to walk in anything that looks, sounds, or even postures itself as a curse. I want to walk in the blessing of God. You want to walk in the blessing of God? But to understand blessing, we've really got to unpack it a little bit. Because we always, we, we think of blessing, we think of things. We think if I'm blessed, that means look at what I have. But blessing is a little bit more than that. So Lord, tonight, we don't want to hear my thoughts or my opinions. We just want to hear your truth. Show us, teach us, say what you want to say, that we can be a people who look, sound, and walk like you. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Blessings. We always tend to talk about blessings as a thing, but I want to shift mindsets tonight that a blessing is more of a state of being. The Hebrew word for blessing is actually barak, which means praised or congratulated. The Greek word for blessing is a word eulogio, I think that's how you say it, meaning to speak well of, favored, or caused to prosper. To be blessed is a state of being that you are recognized and accepted that when God looks at you, when God looks at a thing, he sees what it is and he puts a blessing on it. He puts a state of being on it. When God looks at you as a redeemed vessel that his son purchased back, he says, it's good and I want to put a blessing on it. I want it to prosper. I want it to produce. And many of us get in seasons where we're not producing, where we're not prospering, and we're going to define what prospering means because prospering doesn't mean get rich. Prospering simply means producing what you are called to produce, what you were intended to do. He says, I'm going to make my creation good and cause it to produce. I'm going to put a blessing 
on my creation. There's a story in Luke that the disciples were getting really excited because the demons were subject to them. They were starting to understand who they were in Christ and demons were listening to their words. The demons were responding. So the disciples come to Jesus and they were excited like, wow, these, the, the, de- the demons are listening to us like they listen to you. And this is what happens in Luke 10, 17 through 20. <clears throat> when the 72 disciples returned, that's pretty cool. It's a little bit more than 12. When the 72 returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. And you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. But don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. We love to get excited about our authority in Jesus' name. You need to know your authority. But we don't need to make authority an idol to rejoice over. Your authority should be a natural identifier that you are a child of God, not something to take pride in. And I believe we cross, we, we kind of flirt with that barrier sometimes of, I've got authority in the name of Jesus. You should rejoice more that you are in the name of Jesus. That when God looks at you, he looks at a good thing. He looks at a righteous thing. He said, your names are registered with me in the heavenlies. Jesus says, rejoice because of where your names are. He says, recognize that when God sees your name, he sees you as good and perfect and righteous. And if God sees your name as good, we've got to understand that when he calls something good, he puts a certain state of being on that good thing. And that state of being is called what? Blessed. When he sees something as good, he's, I'm going to put my blessing because it's good. He's not going to bless something that's not good. So he says, my son made you good, and now that you're good, I'm going to put my blessing on it. John 5.17 says this, Blessed is the one whom God corrects, so do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. You know, another word for blessing is is actually happiness or joy. So when it says, blessed is the one whom God's correct, when God brings correction, it brings a joy to you because he is trying to bring you back into alignment because he loves you. So I take joy in God disciplining me because the point of him disciplining me is to bring me back in alignment for the purpose of producing. The state of being a blessing over your life causes you to produce and have joy because of one thing. You're walking in who you're called to be under the name that you were created to walk in. You don't get a blessing. You are blessed. And we love to play this comparison game of, well, why are they getting blessed and I'm not? You can't get more blessed than me based off of the stuff you got. You ever heard people, why why are they getting blessed right now? I've been going to church for 50 years. I've been tithing every every Sunday. And look at them, they're getting blessed. They may be prospering in certain areas. But the blessing is the same overall. It's a state of being that enables you to prosper and produce the fruit that God has called you to produce. Is this okay? Jeremiah 29, I read this all the time, I'm going to read the three verses tonight, 11 to 13. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you'll find me. The blessing or the state of blessing is this, God has a plan for me. He has a future for me. He has purposed good things for me. God hears me. He allows me to access him at the throne and not in some man-made religious structure. What more do I need than access? I am blessed. I am blessed because he's got plans. I'm blessed because he hears. 
I'm blessed because I had direct access to the Almighty. And when someone says you are blessed, they want to reject it because they think I don't have a thing because we still look at blessing as a thing instead of a state of being. When I say that you are blessed, I'm not looking at what you got. I'm seeing where you are. You are blessed. God has great plans for you. He says, under the blood of my son, you are good. And when he looks at a good thing, he sees what it is and he says, I will put my blessing on it or I will cause it to produce. Now, some of you are like, okay, well, that's good, but give me more. Where, where do you get this concept of blessing causes me to produce, to prosper, to produce in what he has purposed you to walk in? Well, we're going to go back to Genesis tonight. And we're going to look at exactly what prospering and producing has to do with blessing. Genesis 1, 21 through 22. God created great sea creatures and every living thing that scurries and swarms in the water. This is where I have an issue with the Bible because some of those things that are scurrying, God could not have created that. That's a joke. <laughs> Chill out. And every sort of bird, each producing offspring of the same kind. And God saw that it was what? Good. good. Then God blessed them because what does God do with a good thing? He puts a state of blessing on it. And this, now that you are blessed, they can walk in this decree from God. Be fruitful. Multiply. Let the fish fill the seas. Let the birds multiply on the earth. You know why there's a spirit of homosexuality in the world? Because the spirit is trying to come against the decree of God to multiply. Because when you're attracted to sand, you can't produce. I know. When he saw that it was good, he caused him to prosper and put his favor on the thing and gave the command. Be fruitful. Multiply. They could not produce without a blessing on them. And even though everything was good and blessed... All blessed and good things have to operate in a certain way, in a certain manner. Just because it's good and a blessing's on it doesn't mean you get a free-for-all. That's the problem with the church. I'm blessed and highly favored. But you are blessed and highly favored, especially when you are under alignment and authority and order. And Christians don't like the accountability of order. We take freedom and we put, and it's a free for all to do what we want. And can you produce? Sure. But God says, I have a purpose for you. And if you will walk in the order that causes your purpose to flourish, what you tried to produce by yourself is nowhere near what you could produce under my name, Woo! under my authority. When God created the earth and all things in it, he made a thing that would cause all this good stuff to produce in a perfect manner. And that thing was called man. Let me show you. Verse 28, Genesis 1. God blessed them, who was them he's referring to, man and woman, and said... Be fruitful and multiply. You, you, you see the pattern. He blessed and said, multiply. Fill the earth and what? Govern it. Reign over every fish in the sea, birds in the sky, animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, look, I've even given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. I've given every green plant as food for the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life, and this is what happened. Then God looked over all that he had made, and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed, and morning came, marking the sixth day. He says, I'm creating man, and I'm blessing you. Fill the earth. Multiply. Reign over it all. Reign over the sea, the things in the air, the things on the ground. I've given you authority to every plant, every tree. Reign over it, 
and governor. And after man was made, God didn't say that everything was good. At that point, he made the fish. Good. He made the animals. Good. He made the plants. Good. He made man. And then, after he saw that everything was under correct authority, reign over it, govern it, he said, oh, this is very good. Another way to say that was it was finished. Because the very next thing he did was do what? Take a Sabbath. He took a rest. He made everything, made something to govern it, and then once it started governing, he, this is, it's finished. This is very good. When Jesus completed his work on the cross, what were his words? It's finished. In other words, this work is very good because everything that needs to be accomplished to get my state of blessing back on my people was done on the cross. He paid the debt that caused separation of the bride and said, now my work is finished. I've got him back. Remember, there was 600 years of silence, of no authority. And then as we read last week, a sprout came up from the stump. The, 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 the lineage of King David came up out of nowhere. This boy, born of a virgin, he came to say, I am the Messiah. He restored everything that was lost in a moment for one purpose. I'm getting my people back. God did not create man just to be. God created a kind of him in the earth that would govern in such a way for all things to produce for an intended purpose under the voice of a being that was in total relationship with God the Father. The purpose of man was to govern. The purpose of man was to reign because man had perfect relationship and intimacy with Father God. The earth was good. But it needed to be good under proper alignment. And in the next chapter of Genesis, it actually talks about it. Genesis 2, 4 through 6. This is the account of creation of the heavens and the earth. When the Lord made God, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, neither wild plants nor grains were growing. For the Lord God had not yet sent rain to water the earth, and there were no people to cultivate the soil. So he made everything, but they couldn't grow. They could not do what? Produce. Even though God called them good, they weren't very good because they weren't doing what? Producing. Instead, springs came up from the ground and watered all the land. The land was limited in what it could do because it was blessed to produce under the right authority. Are y'all getting this? And when man was formed, man was given authority over the earth to tend it, watch it, name everything. Everything was in order, and the blessing of God over creation caused everything to prosper and produce the right fruit. But then something happens. Sin enters. Another way to say it would be disobedience occurred. And what happens in Genesis 3, watch this in verse 17. To the man he said, since he, you listened to your wife. And all the men said, oh, y'all smart. <laughs> since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. Because the ground was under whose authority? All your life, you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grain. The ground that was blessed is now what? Cursed. It had an intended fruit, but it always had the ability to produce a fruit that it was never intended to produce. So when it got cursed, it was 
enabled to produce fruit that it was never intended to, called thorns and thistles. And the fruit of disobedience is this. When you are disobedient to his commands, to his ways, the fruit of that disobedience is it gets much more harder than it really needs to be. And you start to produce things in your life that you're going to have to work through that you were never intended to produce. So it's not follow God's commands so that you can be a good Christian. It's follow God's commands because his commands, his order, his authority in your life will cause you, the blessed man and woman, to produce at its proper alignment and potential. If we live under the blessing of a redeemed life in Jesus with an authority that is restored, your life is caused to produce. It's caused to produce what you're intended for when you're in obedience to the Father. Why did God not want us to eat from a tree of knowledge and good and evil? Because evil was always able to be produced out of us. But had we not known evil, it would have never been able to do what? It wasn't that God was trying to keep us from something. He was trying to make sure that we were always at max capacity to walk in the blessed state. God never had a plan for you to produce thorns. But the goodness of God says if you submit your life to him, he'll certainly mold a thorn and make it work for the good of those who seek him. God didn't create a thorn for Paul, but he made it work. And so many times we walk as blessed people, but we choose a disobedience that curses the state of being. And then we ask questions like, God, why did you do this? And God says, I didn't. You did. Is your life producing what was intended for you? Or is it producing something that God never wanted to see come out of you? If you submit your life to him, he will mold anything and make it work for your good. But notice in this kind of story of creation, they did not have to work or get sweat from the brow until one thing happened. The earth got cursed out of their disobedience. Is this building okay? Or you? Okay. The earth was never meant to respond to your hand. When it responds to your hand, it causes a lot of issues for you. It doesn't just respond. You got to work. You got to till the ground. You got to sweat. You got to put energy toward it. Because that was never the natural flow of how the earth responded to the voice of the blessed thing that everything was under authority of. What did it respond to and created to respond to? Your words. Is this? Okay. God created a kind of him in the earth that would govern in such a way that all things would produce for their intended purpose under the voice of a being that was in complete relationship with God. The earth was always meant to respond to your words. And it still does. Because the problem is a cursed earth seeks agreement with cursed talk because it's the language it's used to. So to get the earth back into order, we have to start using a language that it knew long ago that's no longer been common.
So when your environment starts to get chaotic and you say, I'll never get out of this, the earth knows that language. But when you start saying things like, in Jesus' name, this is not going to hold me, then some tension is created. And God says, if you're walking with me, I will give you the fruit of patience to deal with this tension until it gets in order. The fruit of the Spirit is meant to help you walk through getting things back in order because you're the voice created to put it in order so that all things produce in their intended purpose. The earth is under a curse. And because it's under a curse, because it's been used to this language of opposite of God, it's groaning, the scripture says. It's, it's, it's wanting the sons of God to be revealed. It's waiting for it. It's wanting it. Why? Because it was always meant to produce the best way under his voice through mankind. So after 600 years of no authority, no wonder the storm said, yes, sir, when Jesus said, be still. It had been waiting for a voice that was lost long ago. And if we would start to understand that we, a state of blessing is put over you, the reason that every word out of your mouth should edify God because edifying words out of your mouth is what your environment responds to in a fruitful way. The ground was never meant to be molded into statues and idols. I don't mean every statue. Don't quote me on that. Don't get mad at me. I'm talking about what they did back in the Bible days. They would make gods. We still do it today. We got Buddhas. We got trinkets. We put them in our rear view mirrors and our walls and we think, oh, that's going to give me protection over my house. If you want to rely on that, you go for it. But my protection is in him alone. And we flirt with these things and we don't understand what we're actually opening ourselves up to. Wrong alignment. And you wonder why you're always dealing with fruit that doesn't sound or look like God. The ground was never meant to produce things for us to worship. We were supposed to govern the ground for worship to the Almighty. And the people of God need to understand that in all things we do, we should begin to govern all things for His glory and their intended purpose. So why don't we? Because we don't understand that our authority under a state of being called blessed and then we actually start to bring curses about because our agreement is in something else other than the Spirit of God. Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, not curse. And what happens in our life is we'll agree with anything that presents itself as a good thing. And the Scripture warns you of that. The devil poses himself as an angel of light. That means there are certain things that the enemy is going to whisper that look like God. And you've got to make sure that your agreement is not in anything but him. Not something that poses itself as him. And I think that this next verse I'm about to read is perhaps one of the most life-changing truths that, will, that, that, that we fail to walk in every day. And I want to dive into this before I start talking about these curses because you've got to understand how to deal with curses, how to deal with cursed ground. Because as I've been talking, I guarantee you everyone in here has been thinking about, have I been living in a curse? Have I been living under the wrong banner? What do I do? Romans 5.17. The sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. 
But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. What is that that verse telling us? We give more weight to the representation of sin in Adam than the representation of redemption in Jesus. Well, when sin entered the world, that was it. We're governed by sin. If Adam represented us that way, and look what it did, how much greater is the representation of what Christ does? In other words, I don't care what curse has been brought on you by your accord or by someone else's, the representation of Jesus is greater than the representation of that curse. So don't think that to break out of a curse is something difficult. We just make it difficult because we give it more weight. We give it more glory. We talk more about what we're cursed in or what we have been cursed of than we talk about what we're free from. Sin entered, but so did Jesus. And it says if we received his gift of right standing we would live in triumph over, the scripture says, all sin. Not once your flesh dies and you go to heaven. It says if you would understand that what Jesus did for you is bigger than what Adam did for you, you will live in triumph and free from sin. You can live now in the perfect state of blessing. And when you begin to understand that, you'll see this To live under a curse is a lie. I don't have the scripture up, but God was showing me this earlier. I want to read this in Luke 15. This is the parable of the prodigal. To illustrate this point further, Jesus told them this story. This is Luke 15, starting in verse 11. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want a share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. In other words, he says, I want my inheritance now. I want what, Daddy, I want what you got for me right now, and I'm going to go off with it. A few days later, his younger son packed all his belongings, moved to a distant land. There he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a greater famine swept over the land. He began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. The man sent him in the field to feed the pigs. The young man became hungry, and even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. Here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father. Say, Father, I've sinned against you, both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Take me as a higher servant. So he returned home to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son and embraced him and kissed him. rest of the story, very simply, he was brought back into what the father had always intended for him. You see, the lie... was that he could walk in his inheritance outside of his home. He left the house. He left his alignment. He left where he could produce the best and found out that he couldn't produce outside of the house. What did sin do? It caused us to get outside the house. And all we need to do to walk in our inheritance and purpose is get back in the house. And we couldn't do that by ourselves. So Jesus says, I'll adopt you. There's no more Jew or Gentile. Israel is no longer defined by a physical place, by a location. He's... I'm going to graft you back in so that when the Father looks at you, he looks at my bloodline. And because you are back in the house, the lie of a curse can only operate outside the house. 
So the way to deal with a curse is one thing. Get back in the house. You've removed yourself from a place of blessing. And the place is simply wrapped up in the arms of a father. We live in lives of curses because we live outside of what he has caused us to do. We've lived outside of our purpose. We've lived outside of his voice. And one of the biggest curses that take us outside of the house, if you will, one of the biggest curses that we live in that takes us out of a place of blessing are word curses. We'll start to say things over ourselves like, I will never be. It's never going to happen to me. We'll start to say things like, there is so much darkness in my house. Don't agree with that. Because if you're in his house, darkness cannot stay. So why are you agreeing with a thing that shouldn't even be? Uh, uh, let me read this. James 3, 7 through 12. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. Now, we're like, wait a minute. If we can't tame the tongue, then what's the deal with the curses? Well, he describes it. Your tongue is restless, it's evil, it's full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father. Sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. So blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives or a grapevine produces figs? No, you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. The end of that passage, what is, he's saying, things should not produce fruit they were never intended for. They shouldn't. They can't. He said, but your, your mouth, the stuff that was intended to come out of it can come out of it. But there's also things that come out of it that were never meant to produce. Blessing and cursing come from the same thing. Well, Kyle, if no one can tame the tongue, then what do we do? What We always read that passage and think of the worst thing. We can't tame the tongue. But listen to what it said. You can't tame the tongue, but both curses and blessings come out of the same well. Your words carry a great weight. You were designed for earth and all the things in it to respond to you. So if you speak a curse of I'll never be and you curse blessed ground, there's simply one way to get the curse off the, the ground. Bless it. Because you were blessed to be a blessing. When you say things like, I will never, how do you reverse that curse? Wait a minute. Yes, I will. In Jesus' name. Now, some of you are thinking that's way too simple. That's the beauty of the power of your tongue. Remember what happened in Scripture? Everything was meant to respond by a word. When we started having to put hand to it, sweat, work, aggravation, frustration. But if we understand that we are under a state of blessing, the same thing we curse, we can give life to. So if you're having this conviction of, I spoke curses over my sons and daughters, you'll never amount to anything. You want to reverse it? Start speaking into what it truly is. Son, daughter, you're a great man or woman of God, even if they're not. Because you're trying to bless their state not agree with the curse of their state. The tongue cannot be tamed, but God gave you a tremendous key in this passage that the winds know your curses, but they also know your blessings. So bless it. There are things called generational curses. Everyone said, mm-hmm. And let me just remind you, if sin was represented in Adam, how much greater is the work represented in Christ? So let me just give you a quick little nugget. Generational curses 
are not as strong as the church has made them out to be. Let me prove it to you. Deuteronomy 5, 8 through 9. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind, an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them for I, your Lord. Real quick, you see what he's talking about? You were never meant to make anything out of the ground that it wasn't intended for. You must not bow down to them or worship them. I, the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other God. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generation of those who reject me. You're like, dang. So I'm dealing with stuff that daddy or granddaddy or great-granddaddy or great-great-granddaddy, I'm dealing with that stuff. You see, the sins of the father are this word called iniquity. The word iniquity means you are bent towards something. You ever notice that certain people struggle with things more than others? Many times it's because you are born into sin and you're bent towards something without even knowing you're bent toward it. That's why it says he was bruised for our iniquities and beaten for transgressions. Iniquities is something that happens inwardly that you come into agreement with. Like daddy was an alcoholic, so I can't touch a drink without being an alcoholic. Transgression is something that you were never bent toward, but you just chose to do. So Jesus took care of both issues. The stuff that you chose and the stuff that you chose that you were already bent toward. And we always give attention to, well, God passes these uh, or the, these, these curses, these generational things from three and four generations up, we always pay attention to that they're passed down, but we don't really read verse 10. It says, but I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. You want to know how you walk out of a generational curse? The love of God will pour out when you seek him first in all you do because the curse is not the thing that's powerful. What's powerful is where you put your agreement in. I don't care what my dad or my mom did in their life. It is not more powerful than the unfailing love that was poured out on me on the cross. So stop putting all your excuses in this is what I was born with and start realizing that if you claim to be reborn, then you're reborn into a bloodline that has no curse. <laughs> How do you walk out of a generational curse? Receive that you're blessed, you're called good, and you're made worthy to produce where the iniquity tried to cause you to be a dead stump in a field. Now, with generational curses, we see curses with occult and idol worship. Because it says part of the generational curse is from the stuff that you worship that was not of me. Occult worship can attract or cause generational things. That's why when you're choosing what you give your eye and ear to, it's not a matter of, is this right or wrong? It's a matter of, what doors are you opening up for people to fight that they're not ready to fight? There are certain atmospheres that I can walk into that don't affect me at all. But you take an eight-year-old that don't know anything about atmospheres... They start to get exposed to things, and they'll start to think there's nothing wrong with it. So they'll start playing with things. I'm being very... They'll start walking in things they see. And then later on, when they're adults, they think, well, if it was good then. And what's happened is they're walking in a cursed and they don't realize they're in it, and then they get to a place where they're not producing anything and wonder, why am I not producing? I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm, you're not producing because you're not in the house of blessing. You're walking in the house of a curse. 
We have to guard everything that anyone sees or hears. Is that... You don't know what gets on your kids when you expose them to things that they're not ready to battle with. Now let me go a little bit further. You don't know what gets on you when you expose yourself to things that you may not be ready to battle with. It's not a matter of is it right or wrong. Get out of that. It's does this look like it's supposed to be in the house called blessed? So that I can produce at my utmost capacity. Hmm. Curses. Word curses. Generational curses. Idol worship. There's also curses that simply flow from disobedience. Deuteronomy 28. If, verse 15, if you refuse to listen to the Lord your God and do not obey all the commands and decrees I'm giving you today, all these curses will come and overwhelm you. Your towns and your fields will be cursed. Your fruit baskets, your breadboards will be cursed. Your children will be cursed. Your crops are going to be cursed. You see the generational right there? The, the, the work, in other words, the work of your hand is going to be cursed. The offspring of your herds will be cursed. Your flocks will be cursed. Wherever you go, whatever you do, you will be cursed. You're like, dang. <laughs> the Lord himself will send on you curses. Con Gosh, God. <laughs> Confusion, frustration in everything you do. Until at last you're completely destroyed for doing evil and abandoning me. Dang. <laughs> whatever happened to the love of God, right? But here's the thing that we misread in this passage. It's not that God wants to punish you. He's speaking on how this stuff works. He's telling you how law works. He doesn't say, I'm going to curse your towns and your fields and your baskets and your breadboards and your children and your crops. He says, if you refuse to listen, these curses will come. He doesn't say, I'm going to curse you. He doesn't say, I'm going to curse your kids. He doesn't say, I'm going to curse your work. He says, if you disobey, the law of obedience and disobedience works like this. If you obey, you're good. If you don't, you bring it on yourself. And then he says, I love you so much that these are the curses I'll send. You're going to get so confused and frustrated that you ain't going to want to do anything but seek me. What are the curses he sent? He says, I'm going to send confusion and frustration and everything you do until you're completely destroyed. In other words, I'm going to get you so frustrated that you're, one day you're going to cry out to me and you don't even know you're crying out to me. God, what do I do? There he is. <laughs> think, of, think about Adam and Eve when they sinned. What was the first thing God said? Adam, where are you? It wasn't about location. Hey, hey, man, where you at? Where's your mind at? Because it ain't in my house. Why, why did he say, now you're going to have to work? I'm going to frustrate you to create dependence on me. I want you back in the marriage of you have to depend on me to have peace. I don't want you to have peace outside of me because I'm a jealous God. And the only way I want you to get peace is tied to this house. <laughs> so thank you, God, for frustrating me. <laughs> John 12, 26. Anyone who wants to serve me must follow me because my servants must be where I am. And the Father will honor anyone who serves me. In other words, he says, this stuff, it don't work without following. If you don't follow, you're bringing curses. Which banner do you live under? Blessing or a curse. 
Another way to talk about the curse of disobedience is the curse of the law. That's why he says, I didn't come to abolish it. I didn't come to take it out because it's good. It causes you to understand you can't work without me. But I have fulfilled it. What does that mean? He says, I have fulfilled the law, the, the, the law to say it shows you your need for me, and now I'm giving you access. Not by striving, but by position. I have made you worthy to get back in my house. To get you back in a state of blessing. So that everything you do produces. When you take the job, it's the job that God wanted for you. And for some reason, you start to produce. Galatians 3, 13 through 14. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. It is written in the scriptures, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing that he promised to Abraham. So that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. He blessed you. He put a I see good on you. And then, let me say, he said, I see a very good on you. I'm, I, he, he says, what, what I did on the cross for you was so much more than getting up from a grave to impress you. Getting out from a grave, it lifted every bondage that ever tried. The bondage is the lie. You know what the lie we tell ourselves? I have got to get out of this thing that's put on my life. You've already been taken out. He's put blessing on you. When you understand he put blessing on you, a curse does not stand a chance. He causes your words to produce life. So you can speak to a dead thing. You can speak to sickness. It's not, oh, you get to heal people so that you can look really cool. It's not, oh, you get to raise people from the dead so people can see power in you. No, it's your words now produce the same life that mine did. Because sin has to obey. Everything has to listen to you now, so make sure that what you say causes it to respond in the right way. So, so, so like, listen, when you get sick, you can lay in bed, I'm so sick, I feel, or you can, I'm healed. Now, you think that I'm crazy. But the, God says, I use the foolish things to confound the wise. Start speaking life to a thing. Walk back in the house that you were created for. My kids are lost. You just cursed them. You know what you need to do every night before you go? To, my, my kids are coming back home. I'm ready. I just can't deal. No, you are ready to receive them with arms wide open. I don't know why I'm on that tonight. Pastor, I'm struggling with this thing. I don't know why you're struggling. Let's, let's change that. It ain't got me. I am going to produce. God, show me what you want to put this blessed hand on. You are blessed to be a blessing. The scripture just told us in Galatians 3 that we are blessed with the same blessing that he blessed who with? Abraham. So let's see what that blessing was. I'm actually going to end really early tonight. Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I'll show you. You see what just happened? He said, I'm calling you out from what identifies you. 
Leave your ethnicity behind for a moment. Leave your culture behind. Leave how you were born behind. I'm going to bring you into a new land. You know what the land's called? The kingdom of God. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. What he blesses you and causes you to be prosperous so that you can be that very thing to others. Do you live your life in such a way that causes others to see themselves as worthy of God? That for some reason when you walk into a room, the atmosphere shifts because you're blessed. And now because you are blessed, your state of blessing is invading their ignorance. That's light in darkness. So, so why does Jesus say it, it, that it is better to serve? Because when you walk into a situation, you don't start thinking, I don't want to deal with so-and-so. You shift the mindset. I am blessed to place this blessing on so-and-so. I'm blessed to change the atmosphere. I am blessed to influence. So I'm not going to walk into my familiar house I'm going to walk in my father's house where there is an inheritance for me that when I start to use the inheritance, it produces something in everyone I'm connected with. That is why it is so important to walk in unity as a house of God. Because if we could get to a place where we don't let spirits of division and offense take hold, there would be such a a state of blessing on this house that anything we decide to touch with our righteous hand would have to begin to shift. So it's not we go downtown and pray that the enemy would leave. It's because we walk downtown, he flees. No longer by striving. What if we could walk in a state of blessing that when we walk by the haunted houses of Savannah, all haunt runs? <laughs> what if we lived in such a state of blessing that because we walk in all God has for us, the bank account starts to go in the right direction? What if we walked in such a state of blessing that that thing you've been asking for over and over and over, it starts to respond just because you are. Amen. Adam and Eve didn't have to do anything but walk. And everything responded to them because it was in proper order and alignment. So it's not, how do I get everything right? It's let me get in alignment in the right house. So that the state of blessing on me, I don't even have to speak to a curse because the curse leaves by my very presence, which is the presence of God. But should a curse rise up, I will talk to it. And my talk will not be, I will never. My talk will be, you will never. Blessings and curses. This whole message can really be summed up in one idea. It's up to you. He put such a state of blessing on you that he has caused you to prosper. The question is, do you prosper fruit or thorns and thistles? He's caused you to do that. He's caused this house to do that. He has put such a blessing on you that he says, uh, you're so good. Now go and make everything good. What is spreading the kingdom of God? This is asked all the time. Why did Jesus wait to come so long after all the Old Testament? Why couldn't he have come, you know, like immediately after Adam screwed up? That would have saved us a lot of time, God. God needed us to understand a principle 
Jesus came back in a time where the world was trying to impose culture on God's people. When Rome went to Israel, Rome was not trying to put an embassy in Israel. You know what an embassy is? You put something in a country that's not yours, and you protect yourself from where you put in. What was God trying to do? What, what was Rome trying to do in Israel? We don't want to just set up camp in Israel. We want Israel to look like us. That's why you have Hebrew and Greek. Because Rome even changed the language. And imposed a culture. And imposed a new way of life. It was, no, 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 you don't, you don't, you don't get to do the, the feast anymore. Now you got to do other things. You got to do other kind of holidays. You got, you got, you got to do our culture. Oh, no, no, you can't do, the, you can't do your, your, your timeline. you got to use our timeline. It was imposing culture. So Jesus comes back and he says, my father wants to do the same thing in the world with you. You are blessed so that wherever you walk starts to look like a different culture. It's a culture of heaven. I'm putting a state of blessing on you so that everything that is walking in the lie of a curse can start to prosper and produce what it was intended for. It's not Savannah, for instance, is a bad place. It's living outside of its intended place. It's not that Savannah is a dark city. It's a perfect city that is walking out of alignment. So God doesn't say, I'm just going to poof, do it. He says, I'm going to bless you to go be a blessing. Make that city prosper in my name. Make that family prosper in my name. I'm blessing you. Let's walk and be blessings. Amen. Let's stand. Can we give God praise tonight?